The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Greetings and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to throw caution all aside and just go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on a great appreciation for the lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King and their world-changing impact, entrepreneurs in their day. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And our guest today, from live from New York is Hussein Zetti, who's the founder and CEO of Advisor. Hey, Doug. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Um, so there's a whole lot going on in the industry now, and one of the things that's not changing is the fiduciary environment. So let's start there. Sure. And, you know, with technology and that, and what do you see going on sure. there? Sure. So it's something that uh, has been brewing now probably for a decade. Or, or more at this point. Uh, there is a lot of pushback, as you know, uh, in terms of certain broker-dealers just wanting to make sure that they can keep business as is, uh, because that was just more profitable for them. Uh, but at this point, the cat is just out of the bag. So even if there has been any pushback on any regulations that had almost gone through, as you remember, about two years back, uh, the general trend to do the right thing for the clients, for there to be a uniform standard is just a direction that we are headed in. Uh, what's exciting at this stage uh, is that all of the newer companies, the entrepreneurs that are out, uh, that is their mindset at this point. Uh, that is the context that they're coming into their new business with. Uh, and so that has the opportunity just to change what five years and 10 years looks like. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that within that time frame that you'll probably have legacy advisors who are just at a later stage in their career that probably won't make that change. So I think we're going to see this gradually become the standard over time, even if regulation doesn't become 100% uh, in that direction. I think that's just the way that you're going to have to operate. Uh, in order to win business. So why do you think regulation didn't happen? And you seem to think that it might never happen. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if it will not happen ever. I, I take that guess uh, because there's so much money that is just behind uh, pushing it off. Politically, we're so polarized at this point. Um, for our business, uh, we literally lost deals uh, because of how the election turned out, literally. Right? So if it had gone a different way, there were certain deals that we would have won. Uh, since it didn't go that way, we didn't win those deals. Uh, and it was because those deals were focused on the fiduciary standard coming into play. Um, so we don't all have control. You know, it's going to come down to the politics, it's going to come down to the lobbyists, it comes down to so many different groups uh, that have their hand in the bag. But maybe it was just a huge, not it was just a huge, but maybe the fact that it, it didn't go through the wave of media behind it did a ton of good Agreed. for everybody. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
it, it could just be a speed bump. Um, and now we're, we're going to hope for more power. And more and more people are understanding exactly what it means. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, I think the, the biggest issue is that it's just super complicated and confusing. All right. So we, as a young uh, startup, recruited a host of folks that were not in the business. Uh, and the interesting learning for me, and I was in the business, I'm a CFP, I'm, I was a financial planner for 12, 13 years before this. Uh, explaining to our new technologists, our new folks that join sales and marketing, what an RIA is versus a broker-dealer versus a wirehouse versus the suitability standard, the fiduciary standard, it is so complicated. Um, we just have to get past the complexity so that we can figure out how do you do the, the right thing for the client. And the client needs to just understand it. It, it should be as simple, and I'm not an expert on this, but it should be as simple as you're giving the, the uh, responsibility to the advisor to do the right thing for you, and they're responsible, and they should have this high fiduciary standard, or you are just using their platform for execution, and you are responsible. But we are just so far from that at this point. I'm getting way ahead of where I wanted to go with this, but I you said something that really caught my ear, which was you hired a bunch of people from outside the industry yeah. um, and didn't have these jobs before doing technologists, but was that a huge advantage for you? Huge, huge advantage, because they're, they're, they have a fresh mind on what the right thing is. Uh, they have the mindset of a consumer. And so we were a financial planning software. Uh, when we were introducing new technology uh, that was more cutting edge, that was more about providing the consumer with an amazing experience, uh, they didn't have any legacy baggage uh, on, on what that technology should be from the industry standpoint. Uh, they had a clear view as somebody who uses Netflix, somebody who uses Uber, or any one of these great companies. And so that, that was a pretty big advantage for us. So starting a tech company in financial services that's been incredibly successful. I'm just going to lay out a blanket question. So what's going on in technology? Oh, a lot, a lot. And so I assume you're talking about fintech specifically. Um, a lot. And it's, it's all over the place and it's, it's all good in my opinion. Uh, we are in a really small group. We're just in the wealth management sector. That's it. Uh, in that wealth management sector, then there's financial planning software, which is just another smaller component of wealth management. Um, outside of wealth management, you have things that are happening in lending, in payments, in blockchain, and in cryptocurrencies. It is just a, a massive amount of new tech that is, is coming out there. Um, and over the next five to 10 years, in my opinion, it, it really drastically changes what, what the wealth management, that's my expertise, uh, what the wealth management sector looks like. Are there also forces coming that threaten advisors from elsewhere? Uh, I, I think there's major threats to advisors uh, that are coming from the Amazons and the Facebooks of the world. Um, I think there are threats coming from companies that are in payments. Uh, companies that are in savings. So if you think of like the acorns and the stashes of the world, just going a step back on payments, if you just look at Venmo's of the world, those technologies are solving a very 
uh, niche niche area that is really important to those users and their engagement rates are off the charts um, versus the world that we really live in uh, in the wealth management space which is really that of investment the majority of Americans don't have money to invest the majority of our industry focuses on people who have to have money for you to be able to monetize that. Uh, so the opportunity, in my opinion, over the next five to 10 years uh, is really going to be those solutions and those providers who are not gonna focus on the investing part of the equation, uh, but will actually focus on the savings part of the equation. How do you help individuals who are paycheck to paycheck, who need to get uh, clarity and uh, get on track to uh, get their plan in place and you're literally helping them to save their money not invest so with all these pieces that you're talking about and the threats from the monsters out there how are advisors supposed to compete uh, they have to be nimble uh, and they have to keep their eyes wide open and understand those trends it may not impact a certain group that is eventually just going to retire right so you have a, a good group of advisors who have really loyal customer bases uh, they provide a substantial white glove service to those clients they've been with them for 20 25 years I think they're going to be fine um, I think the groups that are going to struggle more are going to be the younger advisors who adopt that same model uh, which is not as technology centric um, or I think this is going to impact uh, larger businesses I think broker dealers are going to be impacted by this I think insurance companies are going to be impacted by this uh, insurance planners insurance agents all of these groups that are more product centric um, I think are definitely going to struggle I think the future is not going to be about product I think product is just going to be the means to get your plan in place. Uh, the future, in my opinion, is going to be some type of a subscription-based service that actually helps people feel relieved about their finances. Uh, and that's not about you owning an insurance product or getting into a portfolio. Sitting here in Manhattan and you saying the future is not going to be about product, there's some big buildings around here that are built around product. What What's the future for them? Um, and you're, you're talking about banks? Yeah, banks and you know, product providers and ETF platforms and I think issuers. They, yeah, I think they have to change. So uh, I'm uh, just catching up on uh, John Bogle's uh, autobiography right now uh, in terms of what his passions were. And I, I think his uh, view was so pure, uh, but there was like certain times um, to have certain views and if, if he was still alive today, he would continue to uh, move into this fiduciary world and he would continue to move to just do what's right for the customer. But if you look in the 70s and the 80s, it was about uh, getting to indexing or that's where that, that started uh, and it was about low cost. So I think the groups that had great visions like Vanguard, like Schwab, if they're continuing to evolve, they're going to do great. Those are really great companies that have great leadership. I think the companies that are not looking to evolve and are just trying to fight the regulations to be able to sell their product, I think they're going to have big problems. 
When did you realize you were a technologist? How early? Uh, probably about two weeks ago. <laughs> when I sold the business. <laughs> Way before that. Uh, no, so I, I'm uh, joking, kind of. Um, <laughs> because after I, I sold my business, which just happened about four weeks ago, uh, that's when I, I started to talk to family and friends and they started referring to me as a technologist. For me, uh, the, the genius that I had partnered up with was my co-founder, Mustafa Basiri, who built the product beginning to end. Uh, that was his baby in terms of figuring out how to get that product to work the way it needed to work, user experience, uh, everything. And so that was a, a partnership between him and I. I had the industry experience, I'm the CFP, so I, I know planning. So you and he were sitting around and why did you decide to start this? Uh, trying to solve my own uh, issues uh, as a financial planner. Uh, so I started in 2002. Um, I was uh, trying to get clients at the age of uh, 24. Um, it's really hard to get anybody to give you money at that age. I uh, was able to get my parents and my cousins and folks that uh, would, would trust me to take a chance. Uh, I was going through a very holistic planning process with that entire group. Um, I remember delivering a holistic plan and a binder to my parents and them being like astonished. They were like, we've been banking for 30 years. Like we have never gotten this from any bank. We've, we've banked with everybody at, at this point. That was interesting to me. I had to just kind of like figure out like, what, why is it that they didn't get that service? I knew they weren't high net worth. But they, I mean, they were like a mass affluent client. And I learned pretty quickly that the industry doesn't really provide a high level of service to most clients, um, unless you have a million dollars or less. Uh, and so that stuck with me. I, I grew most of my client base in the early years uh, with mass affluent clients. So clients have about 100,000 to 500,000. I eventually grew my base because I, I realized um, that I was just getting a lot more interest from, from customers as I was becoming more experienced. Uh, and then I was servicing my high net worth clients more. And the reason why I was doing that is because if you service a $5 million client or a $500,000 client, it's sometimes almost the same amount of time and it's 10 times the revenue. Mm -hmm. right. So um, I started uh, getting funny looks from my parents when I would see them uh, on, okay, what, what happened to those quarterly reviews and what happened to that great service? Uh, and I had to be honest and say, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to service that whole customer base anymore because it's just not as profitable. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I set out with my team at Citigroup to figure out how do we really scale out financial planning advice for mass retail and mass affluent clients. Like, but what are the different components to make that uh, successful? Um, and so we got planning software, we did all these RFPs for the top vendors um, at that time, got everybody excited, uh, got advisors <clears throat> who we were working with to understand that if they do the right thing for the client and they go through this planning process, it's not only received really well, uh, but they actually build a more profit a profitable practice as well. So it was really a two-sided win, uh, but I couldn't get anybody to use the planning software. None of the advisors. Everyone wanted to grow their business. Everyone wanted to do the right thing. Nobody wanted to use the planning software. 
Um, and so went to business school in 2010, found my co-founders there, uh, launched the business in, in 2012. Um, and it's been six and a half years. That's pretty quick. Uh, doesn't seem very quick. Doesn't feel quick at all. <laughs> felt like a, a lifetime. Yeah. So the, this is the Permission to Seed podcast. So um, going through that, those six and a half years, there had to be times where you kind of had to look at yourself in the mirror and say, there's nobody coming. It's, it's me. So were there those times and how did you get past them? Uh, those, a lot of really tough moments, I think, in that six and a half years. Um, I, I don't think it's unique to us. I think anybody who is in business or starts a business uh, goes through that emotional roller coaster. Um, for us, it's, we had a young family. Uh, my daughter, my first daughter, was only four months when we launched the business. So financially, that was just like a really tough time to leave. Doing this in Manhattan, where rents are outrageous, is just uh, really challenging. Um, and then I think navigating personally with all of the financial and family and then professionally on getting a startup to succeed when it's your first startup. I, I feel like there's probably a hundred different issues that you're trying to deal with during that six, six and a half years. But for me, it was just being passionate. Like I, I loved what I was doing. I loved the problem that I was trying to solve. Um, I attracted other individuals who really cared about that problem as well. Uh, and I would say if I didn't get that latter group, that latter piece, those people to work with me to kind of keep me going as well, I'm, I'm not sure. Six and a half years uh, or 10 years or two years if you, you get through. But we had a really good ecosystem of support to get us through that time. Are your parents happy with their reporting now? Um, so interestingly enough, my mother was diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's just probably about three or four years ago. Uh, as I was going through the process for uh, signing our letter of intent with Orion, uh, we just put her into hospice, uh, like two days after that. Uh, and then she, she passed away on May 9th of this year, It's crazy. Yeah. And then we, we closed the deal uh, just about a month after that. So. But she would have been proud. So she was a, a strong entrepreneur. She was already pretty proud and excited about what we were doing. Uh, and yeah, my, my, my dad is elated. He says in his toughest year, this is his like shining star in terms of what he's excited about. Yeah. So you, you get the call from Orion and they like, we want to write a check. So what is that? what's that process and what does that feel like? And now it's not yours anymore yeah it's um, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm, I'm still dealing with that Eric Clark and the management team at Orion are amazing uh, when Eric approached us in February I had told them that we're we're not interested like we were not for sale we were on a, a pretty clear path to build what we were building he visited us in April um, and he has a, a really great vision for his business. Uh, he's built an amazing business over 20 years. They have 2,000 firms that they work with, 30,000 advisors. Uh, I've always admired him from um, afar. They were a business partner uh, as well. Uh, and he was, I, I think, able to 
really discuss how the two would come together. Like what was the opportunity for us to continue our vision and our, our mission on? And it became pretty clear to me that if my vision was to really just grow the penetration and the planning to more advisors and clients, uh, this was a way for us to do it much faster. Um, and so really great, quick process with him. Uh, we stayed on a really good track. Uh, it all happened within about 60 to 90 days when the process started, so super, super uh, quick. Um, and now we're working close uh, with that management team. So what does the future look like for the, the two firms now that you're one? Uh, so he is, uh, Eric is looking to really take our experience that we had built uh, and make that the client experience and the client portal for all of their customers, which is pretty humbling. Mm -hmm. Right again, they have 30,000 advisors. Uh, we had gone to probably just about all of our partners in six and a half years and said, hey, we have a great idea. Why don't you take our tech and make it your client experience? Uh, and they all kind of scoffed at that uh, just because they were billion dollar businesses. Like why would a billion dollar business take a startup's experience and envelope their entire business into that? Eric, on the other hand, uh, is the only partner, well, now owner, uh, who has that entrepreneurial drive in him to innovate. What does he have to do to get his business to really be able to compete uh, with the big companies and what, where this industry is going in the next five to 10 years? So he is taking his entire business um, and he is going to really get advisor to be the client experience and the, the client portal. Uh, so we're going to be bringing all of their core capabilities into our platform. So performance reporting, uh, they have a great TAM business with FTJ and CLS. Uh, we're bringing all of those components into our platform so that we can deliver an experience to their advisors and to new prospective advisors uh, where they would have a personal capital type experience. Right? So if you look at personal capital, uh, versus uh, what the, the tech stacks look like for financial advisors. Personal capital is built for consumers. It has a seamless user experience, whether you're talking about data aggregation or PFM or planning or execution. A consumer doesn't really see where one experience begins and ends. It's just a really great experience. Uh, and so we have that opportunity. Uh, between all of the capabilities that Orion has, between our planning capabilities and our client experience capabilities, we can build that. And that's what the focus is. That's great. So we'll get you out of here on this question. Um, for all those um, kids who are in front of TVs and YouTubing and playing games and going to be the technologists of tomorrow and going to be entrepreneurs, what are your, what's your advice for them to succeed like you have? Yeah, I would say uh, if you are excited about building something, if you're really passionate about solving a specific problem, go for it. Go for it. Take risk. Uh, because there, there's great learning uh, by going through that process. Don't do it just for the money. I think that is a huge mistake. I think anybody starts a business with dollar signs I think they're going to be disappointed. I think we got lucky. Um, I think there's hard work and great teams, and we, we did a lot of good stuff, but being able to exit 
successfully, there, there's just a lot of obstacles to kind of get to that finish line. And I think if we would have only done it for the money, we would have quit a long time ago. So you gotta be excited about what you're doing, but you got to take risks. Hussein, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been quite a pleasure. For everyone at iris.xyz and the Permission to Seed production team, this is Doug Heikinen. Thank you so much for joining us. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here.